David wanted to build the temple, but God said, no, David, you shed too much blood. You're not going to get to do it. But make sure that Solomon, your son, does it. And so David actually puts things in place so Solomon, his son, can build the temple in Jerusalem. And the temple is constructed. There was a great celebration attended by hundreds of thousands, according to the text, with all kinds of sacrifices that went on for days. And God was pleased. But that night, God comes to Solomon with some hard words, but hopeful words. They're found in Second Chronicles, the seventh chapter, starting in the twelfth verse. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence upon my people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Tomorrow we'll release a podcast, and the podcast is Tila and Lindsay Hurd and Kyle, and they're talking about prayer. But I wanted you to watch a little bit of that podcast this morning, particularly as Lindsay Hurd talks about being submissive and being humble and the notion of humbling yourself to obey God. I remember in Bible study, um, and, and several people had, had been quoting, you know, Romans eight twenty eight, God works for the good of, of those who, who love Him according to His will. And I began to not like that verse, like a lot. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I, I did not like it. And when somebody said it, I think I might have rolled my eyes. And I was mm-hmm. deeply convicted that... Okay, if I'm a follower of Jesus, then this whole book, do I believe it? And do I really believe that, yes, even His goodness is for me? Mm-hmm. And so I began to pray for for God to open my eyes to that mm-hmm. because I was still wrestling with this prayer that was answered how I did not think it should be answered. Mm-hmm. And He began to just in a very sweet way teach me like, just trust that I, I am going to be with you no matter what, mm-hmm. and that anything that draws you closer to me is my goodness. And so I began, and even when I still struggle with that, with fear of that, I go back and I, I, I try to get back in that place of complete submission and surrender. You talked about submission mm-hmm. earlier, you know. Um, that is humbling yourself. That is saying, I'm giving it all to you. And I'm not just trusting that you have a plan for me. I'm trusting that it is good and yeah. that I am going to be drawn closer to you. And that that's what our purpose. 
here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is to draw closer and closer to him. And so the journey that I've taken, that he has taken me on with him is far better than any thing I could plan. Mm-hmm. And so just to, even when prayers seem unanswered or not the way you planned, trust in his goodness, the, the goodness of God, that song is has such a special place in mm-hmm. my heart because I truly, he has shown me my purpose is to know him and to praise him. And so with every breath that I have, I'm mm-hmm. going to praise of his goodness. You can watch the entire podcast tomorrow, and um, we'll do a different one of these each week. And I appreciate the leadership of the, the laity who are helping with the uh, other parts of the, this prayer experience. So the temple was built, and God was pleased, but he told Solomon there's going to be trouble. You can almost hear God when he says, I put before you life and death. Choose life. And he knows what his people are going to do. He put us in the Garden of Eden, for heaven's sakes, and said, you can have any tree, the fruit of any tree in the garden, but stay away from that one. He knew immediately they're going to go to that one. Because the reason the world is crazy, the reason you read in the news feed or the newspaper or watch on the news broadcast stories that just make you do this is because at our core, we're sinful. Created in the image of God, yet we choose sin as a response. And Solomon says, or Solomon was told by God, it's going to happen. It's just going to happen. And we think, oh, how quaint. We don't sin anymore, not us. The psalmist put it this way in the 94th Psalm. They pour out their arrogant words. All the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the stranger. They murder the orphan. And they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear does not hear. He who formed the eye does not see. He who disciplines the nations, he who teaches knowledge to humankind does not chastise. The Lord knows our thoughts, that they are but an empty breath. So the psalmist was, was reproaching humanity by saying, you think you're getting away with it, but you're not. God sees. Later on in the New Testament, Paul is writing Timothy, and he says to Timothy, you must understand this, that in the last days, distressing times will come. For people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, Boasters, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, inhumane, implacable, slanderers, profligates, brutes, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with receipt, luck, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding an outward form of godliness, but denying its power. 
avoid them. See, behaviorally and motivationally, the effects of sin are twofold. First of all, sin keeps God at his true distance. And when you are a sinner and you have knowledge of the sinner, you're putting God in his place and we elevate ourselves to be God. And the second thing sin does in our lives is it so complicates our desires, dreams, actions. And it so compartmentalizes our lives and it creates this inner chaos that we delight in because then we become creatures of self self-centered passions and we can say it's not my fault c.s lewis in thinking about his journey of faith described a time in his own life where he said this i found he wrote what appalled me a zoo of lusts a bedlam of ambition a nursery of fears a harem of fondled hatreds my name was legion God said, Solomon, when the people turn their backs on me and the country's falling apart, there is an antidote. If my people will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll forgive them. I'll heal their land. That process of healing has not changed. It invites us to pray. It invites us to to humble ourselves in an attitude of prayer. It invites us to repent. It invites us to seek the face of God beyond all else. And what we want to do in this month is... We want to remind you of a couple of things. We want to create an atmosphere where prayer moves from being a duty to a delight. Many of you figured out I grew up in another church. Yes, I did. We went to church all the time. Because in that church, they figured if they could keep you in church, they could keep you from sinning. I learned to sin at church. From experts, Wednesday night, Tuesday night, Tuesday night was visitation with the deacons, Wednesday night was prayer meeting, Sunday you had Sunday school and then worship, and then you came back for the Sunday afternoon activities. Man, you had um, um, choir, training union, that's what we call church, training union, and worship services. But on Sunday morning, during Sunday school, you handed in your little card with your quarter in it because that's what I believed an offering was. Mama gave me a quarter, and I put the quarter in my little offering envelope. On the offering envelope, you wrote your name, and so I see some of you grew up the same way because you're doing this. And you had to fill in, prayed daily, read my Bible daily, talked to somebody about Jesus, and you put in all this checklist of stuff. And what I learned is people in that church lied. I did. Prayed daily. Yeah. That's kind of how I approach prayer. I got to fill out my offering card and I better pray so I can check I prayed daily. And prayer became this duty 
that you better pray. If you don't pray, things will happen to you. And if you want good things to happen to you, you need to pray. Okay. That's how it started. But thankfully, I've matured, I hope, a little bit, and prayer has become a delight. It becomes something I look forward to. It becomes something I'll do at the drop of a hat. Some of you will call me and tell me of something going on in your life, and you'll say, Preacher, will you pray for me? And I say, I certainly will. And you'll hang up the phone, and I immediately start praying for you because that's what you've asked me to do. And it's a delight to participate in your life like that. And it's a really cool thing to watch when God starts answering prayers in your life. That's really neat. So I want us to move in this month from seeing prayer as a duty to seeing it as an absolute delight. And one of the ways I want to teach you to do this or try to help you do this is to use the 714 uh, part of our, our text. Go ahead and on your phone set two alarms, 714 a.m. and 714 p.m. And I want you to set your alarm for the most obnoxious sound your phone will make. If you've got the radar foghorn, I want you to set that because when it goes off, somebody says, what's that? You say, that's my reminder to pray. And I want you to stop whatever you're doing and start praying. And you go, whoop, pray twice a day? How can I do that? I'm going to tell you how to cheat, okay? If you'll set your alarm, 7.14 a.m., 7.14 p.m., goes off, you pray. I don't know what to say. Take the Psalter, the 150 Psalms right there in the Old Testament, and you can pray them just like this. Lord, pick a Psalm and just read it out loud. And you get to the end of it, say, in Jesus' name, amen. You have done a great prayer. Because when you start praying some of the Psalms, holy mackerel, the things you are praying for, the depth of the emotion, the depth of the meaning of those Psalms. So, pray twice a day. Use the Psalter, the Psalms, if you need to. Let them become your prayer. And you'll find suddenly that prayer is not so much a duty, but it becomes a delight. But the words of God to Solomon are so pertinent today, if my people. If you want to fix your life, if you want to fix the church, if you want to fix our nation, it starts with that if, that if still looms large, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear, I'll hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. It starts when you start praying. Not until then. And it begins to happen as you realize that this submissive, humble heart that accepts God's goodness in everything is a heart that God can create in you and through you 
as you're praying. So let's spend a month learning how to pray in all its wonderful vistas and ways, and let's have the experience of meeting God in prayer and seeing what God can do when His people pray. And you don't have to have the right words or the right form. You just have to call out to the Lord and pray. Sunday nights was the time the youth really loved going to church. I told the early service, don't tell Mickey Cloud, but my day started on Sunday afternoon with youth choir. Can't believe I sang in youth choir, but I did. Then we'd go to church training. That was kind of Sunday school on Sunday night. Then we went to worship service. And after worship service, we gathered at the Holy and Sacred Pizza Hut. Because that's what we did. We'd all gotten our driver's license and we all went to Pizza Hut. And I've asked God to forgive me for the way we treated all those waitresses for all those years in Pizza Hut. Please, Lord, forgive me. We had a good time, though. One Sunday evening, we're in Pizza Hut, and it had been just a pretty typical Sunday evening, and we were kind of asking each other if anybody would seen Steve and Shannon. Steve and Shannon were a year older than we were. They were kind of the de facto leaders of the youth group, and they were intelligent, bright, affable young people. They loved Jesus, and we all knew that Steve and Shannon loved each other. Um, Steve had a 1973 yellow Volkswagen Beetle. If you've never owned a Volkswagen Beetle, yes, the engine is in the back. And the only thing in the front of a Volkswagen Beetle is 10 gallons of gasoline. So as you're driving the car, the gas tank is very literally almost sitting on your lap. Steve's was bright yellow. And we're sitting there in Pizza Hut, and Pizza Hut was on Highway 31 in Decatur, Alabama, the main drag. And we saw a tow truck pulling Steve's Volkswagen And the front of the Volkswagen was crushed. The windshield was missing. The passenger side roof had been compressed and and crushed in. There was no doubt whose Volkswagen it was. So I popped up and went to the old-fashioned payphone that was in Pizza Hut. My dad was a business manager at the hospital, and so I called Dad. Dad, we just saw Steve's Volkswagen go by. Have they been brought to the hospital? Dad said, let me check. 
You can hear him on the other phone checking. Yeah. They brought him in. Steve was cut up and beaten up. Results of the automobile accident. But Shannon, who was a passenger in the Volkswagen, had been partially ejected from the Volkswagen and it hit her head. Dad said, well, they've taken her to Huntsville Hospital, but they don't think she's going to make it through the night. church youth group had a prayer meeting right there in Pizza Hut. We were 15, 16, and 17. We didn't know the intricacies of prayer. We just knew that prayer was talking to God who listens and responds because He loves us. So we prayed for Shannon and Steve. Well, Shannon lived through the night. The next afternoon, I called Dad and I said, Well, tell me how Shannon is. Dad said, Well, the doctors have said she'll never wake up. She is in what's known as a persistent vegetative state. There was an impromptu youth group prayer meeting that afternoon, and we prayed for Shannon. Days later, Shannon woke up. But alas, Shannon would never walk again. She would never really be able to talk. She wouldn't be able to to have children or have a normal life. And it was real sad. Remember I told you that Steve loved Shannon and Shannon loved Steve? They'd done something scandalous. They were seniors in high school and they had eloped with each other. So we prayed again for Shannon. That she would walk. That she would talk. That she would know us. That she could graduate from high school. We didn't know how to do it right. We just had to talk to God because this was bigger than we were. Well, Facebook is an interesting media source now. I'm happy to report that Steve and Shannon have been married now for nearly 50 years. That Steve and Shannon have children. That Steve and Shannon have grandchildren. 
that the only, the only scars that Shannon has from that accident is one side of her mouth can't quite smile as high up as the other side of her mouth. Prayer is talking to God who listens and responds because He loves us. And God says, if my people will pray, I'll listen and I'll change things. And so this sacrament of Holy Communion invites us to come to the altar and it invites us to pray. It invites us to walk hand in hand with Christ, heart to heart with Christ. It invites us into that submissive, humble heart where we say to God, there are things I don't understand. There are things I can't do. There are things that will only happen as you make them happen. You want to change the world? God says, it starts if my people will pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.